these out. Okay. I don't think we need a lot of them. Here, I'll just give them to you. We'll right. I'll take one for me. Okay. So. All right. Well, good evening. Is my mic on? There it is. How's everybody doing tonight? Hey, man. How are you doing? I'm glad. Me too. <laughs> Thank you. I want to do a, a couple announcements real quick. Just a couple reminders. Um, um, don't forget our men's breakfast is this Saturday at 8.30 a.m. here at the church in the back of the fellowship hall. And then following that men's breakfast is at 10 o'clock. We're going to be showing a video for training. If you've done a background check or you've had a background check, it'd be good for you to be here for that training. It's how to deal with kids in the church, how we're supposed to keep them safe and keep us as a church safe and how we're to interact with them because that's the number one thing. We want to keep our kids safe, right? Yeah, so that's what that training video, and it's good. It'll, it helps for our insurance, liability reasons too. But if you've had a background check with that same company, we're going to be watching a video. So that, again, February 17th, men's breakfast, 830. Following that, at 10 o'clock, we're going to show a video. It's about an hour long. And then you're able to go, if you have had a background check, you can go online and take that test. Um, don't forget about uh, March 2nd at 830 in the fellowship hall is the men's Bible study. And, of course, we have our uh, Bible quest on Sunday mornings and Wednesday nights. My wife teaches that. And then our Prime Timers is coming up February 24th at 12 o'clock. Uh, bring finger foods and games. I, I got to give you a little thing about that. I did not know what finger foods were a few years ago, probably when I first started in ministry, and I thought, what is finger foods? So I had no idea what it meant. I thought maybe, never mind. <laughs> All right, and then Heart to Heart is February 20th at 6 p.m. Uh, here at the church, Vicki Sanders will be speaking with Leanne Hart leading worship. And if you haven't been to that, ladies, it's a wonderful time for fellowship and growing in the Lord. Uh, again, uh, February 25th, we're going to be doing faith promises for on that Sunday. March 3rd, our missionary Terrence, uh, Terrence Harris will be here. And I just spoke with him today. He's going to be speaking that morning, and then he'll be part of our missions banquet that evening at 430. So we won't have church service that night because of the missions banquet, Okay. So it's going to be focused on missions, and uh, uh, missions is important, um, and that's how we reach that. That's how we reach the world for Jesus, and, and it's important to support our missionaries. March twenty third is our Easter egg palooza, and that is again Easter egg palooza just means uh, a Easter egg hunt. I asked my wife what palooza meant. She had to explain to me was, and I still don't remember what it is. So. But it definitely, it, what it means is an Easter egg hunt. And we're going to do it out here in the field. We're going to present the gospel, which is important. So, and we do need volunteers for that. And then finally, uh, March 24th, Brother Wooten will be here in the AM service. And that is our district superintendent. And he's going to be doing, I'm, 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 I'm sure it's going to be my commissioning service here as the new pastor. Of course, it's been seven months, so I'm, I've already kind of worn myself in, right? Okay. And I think that's it. Um, one more thing. Starting in May, we're going to start meeting in the fellowship hall, May 1st. It's a Wednesday, and we're going to be going over something called Acts 2 Journey for our church. And we've got, a, we've got a, a projector and a video, and then some of the videos are only like 8 minutes long and 15. Most of it's going to be discussion and discuss. It's biblical, and it's based on why are we here as a church, where are we going, what do we want to see in the community, how do we want to reach people for Jesus. But it's biblical, and it'll be biblical-based. We'll be teaching out of the Word, too. So, so it's not just going to be 
teaching. So, okay, and that's Wednesday, uh, May 1st. And then finally, did everybody get a handout for tonight's message? All right, I've given you this before, but I'm giving it to you again. We're going to be talking about the, the 70 weeks of Daniel tonight. So, all right, would you please stand as we get ready to go to the Lord and worship? Father, we thank you for this evening. We glorify you. We honor you. We praise you. We lift you up. Lord, this is a day of uh, love. And Lord, you said you are love. God is love. And we want to honor you in our worship and love on you tonight, Jesus. We come to seek your face and not your hand. In Jesus' name, amen. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Two. 
of our heart that we're that we're wholly following after you, that we love you, Lord. Again, today is just a holiday that we have, but Lord, we're to be the ones that love. You said you're, you will know that we are your disciples for our love for one another. Love for you and love for each other. To love the Lord our God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength and love our neighbor as ourself. Father, help us to be that. Help us to walk in that love. To demonstrate that love. Lord, help us if we've missed that sometimes. Again, we honor you. We praise you and we glorify you. In the mighty name of Jesus, and everybody said, Amen. You may be seated. Hope everybody's had a good week so far. If you have your Bibles, would you open up with me to the book of Daniel, chapter 9? How about this weather? Man, I'll take it. Nice warm weather, a little windy out. Don't try riding your bike, though, in the wind. It's a little tough. So Daniel chapter 9, we're going to be looking at verses 20 through 27 tonight. Um, we're going to be finishing up uh, chapter 9. We're, we're just about done with this, uh, this uh, book, but it speaks of where we are right now. And so Daniel chapter 9, we're going to start in verses 20 through, verse 20 and read verses 20 through 27, and then we're going to pray. Uh, so Daniel chapter 9, verse 20 says, While I was speaking and praying and confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel and making my request to the Lord my God for his holy hill, while I was still in prayer, Gabriel, the man I had seen in the earlier vision, came to me in swift light about the time of the evening sacrifice. He instructed me and said to me, Daniel, I have now come to, you to give you insight and understanding. As soon as you begin to pray, an answer was given. Which I have come to tell you, for you are highly esteemed. Therefore, consider the message and understand the vision. Seventy-sevens are decreed for your people in your holy city to finish transgression, to put an end to sin, to atone for wickedness, to bring in an everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy and to anoint the most holy. No one understand this from the issuing of the decree to the restore and rebuild of Jerusalem until the anointed one, the ruler comes, there will be seven sevens, and 62 sevens. It will be built with streets and a trench, but in times of trouble. After the 62 sevens, the anointed one will be cut off and will have nothing. The people of the ruler who will come will destroy the city and the sanctuary. The end will come like a flood. War will continue until the end, and desolations have been decreed. He will confirm a covenant with many for one seven. In the middle of the seven, he will put an end to sacrifice and offering. And on a wing of the temple, he will set up an abomination that causes desolation until the end that is decreed is poured out on him. Let's go to the Lord prayer. Father, as we study about this, that not only the 69 weeks, but the 70th week, which we, I believe, Father, we're getting close to for that to be fulfilled. And I pray, Father, that you will just not only put an urgency within each one of us to share the gospel with our loved ones and friends and our neighbors, even our enemies, Lord. But, Father, that you will put an urgency in for us to be ready. And so, Lord, I pray that you would just speak to each one of us tonight about what this means, about this prophetic word that Daniel prophesied during the captivity in Babylon. 
Father, as your vessel, I can do nothing apart from you. Speak through me. Holy Spirit, have your way in this place tonight. Open up our ears to hear and to listen to what your spirit is saying. Again, I get out of the way so you can speak. In the mighty name of Jesus, and everybody said, amen. So we're in a series called A Godly Man Who Remained Faithful. And last week we were in Daniel chapter 9, the first few uh, verses of it, uh, verses 1 through 19. And it was about prayer, Daniel's prayer about his nation. And we talked about that last week and how we need to pray for our nation. And uh, Daniel sought God in sackcloth and prayer and fasting and petition. And he desired to, to, to see God answer his prayer. And we need to ask God to, and desire God to answer the prayer of our nation. How many of us would agree we need revival in our nation? We need a revival in the church. And so Daniel speaks about that. And then we're going to look at tonight, the answer comes. And so the, I've just put in here, uh, the best title I could come up with is The Death of Christ and the Rise of the Antichrist. And so we're going to be looking at this tonight, the, 60, uh, the 69 sevens and the 70th week. How many of you guys know what that means? All right, we're going to look at that. All right, so let's start. First, we've got to see there's an answer given. Daniel's praying. Let's look in verse 20. He says, While I was speaking and praying and confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel and making my request to the Lord my God for his holy hill, while I was still in prayer, Gabriel, the man I had seen in the earlier vision, came to me in swift flight about the time of the evening sacrifice. Let me stop there for a minute. How many of you have prayed and an angel has appeared? I, I'm sure there's angels that have appeared, but I've never seen one. And yet Daniel sees a, a Gabriel, the angel, and he appears to him. It says he was in swift flight. And so he's praying, and look at verse 22. He instructed me and said to me, Daniel, I have now come to give you insight and understanding. As soon as you begin to do what? Pray, an answer was given. So God sent an answer the minute Daniel began to pray. The word soon comes from the Hebrew word takila. Can you all say that? That sounds like a taco. Which means beginning or first. The minute he set his heart to prayer. And so you and I, because this is God's word, it applies to you and I. The minute you and I begin to pray, God will send an answer. So when does God give an answer when we pray? Immediately. Look at Jeremiah 33.3. Call to me. To call to God means to do what? Pray. How many of you guys pray on a daily basis? I went and rode my bike today. Saw James and Lisa. Rode my bike. And I used that time to pray. In between the big breaths. Windy day. But you can pray anywhere. The minute you begin to pray, God answers. Call to me and I will do what? God tells Jeremiah that. He tells us that. The minute we pray, he will do what? He will answer. And you think, okay, what well, God, how do you answer? Sometimes God doesn't always answer the, right, the same way. And he doesn't always answer the way that we think he's going to answer. I think I've shared this with you before, but it's a great illustration and i got to share it again. You remember me telling you about the, mission, the, the guy that became a missionary to China? Before he was a missionary, he was an evangelist, and he was preaching and, and going throughout the United States. So assembly God, I remember this story. And he said, God, he felt this, press, the, the, this impromptu of the Holy Spirit to go to China to be a missionary. 
But he was struggling with it and fighting with God. And he didn't know what to do. So he said, God, okay, if you want me to go to missionary, you're going to have to write it on a wall. Now listen, this is the same God that we learned about where God wrote on the wall with Belshazzar, right? King Belshazzar. So he's at a youth camp with the kids. He prays this prayer. He starts walking back to the building that he has youth camp, where the, the, you know, their youth camp or I guess their, their cabin or whatever it is. The kids out of joking wrote China on the side of the building. True story. I remember this missionary coming to our church and telling us that. Here he is, God, do you want me to go to China? God gave him the answer. The kids went over there, probably out of mischief, shouldn't have been doing it, but God used that, and he, they wrote China on the side of the building. Now, I don't know how clear that is, but that's pretty clear. God will use and confirm things to each of us of what he wants us to do. You say, God, I need an answer in this. It may not come tomorrow. It may come the next week. I remember one time praying to God. I said, God, I need an answer. Nothing happened. So I... Use the scripture, call to me and I will answer you and tell you great and unsearchable things that you do not yet know. God, your word says you will answer me. Two days later, I got the answer. Then there was one time I prayed, God, I need an answer. It was three weeks before I got an answer. I got the answer, but it was three weeks. Maybe that was testing me to see if I was patient or not. So the minute you begin to pray, God has an answer. Look at Isaiah 65, 12. Before they call, I will what? Oh, doesn't the Bible say he knows the needs of our hearts before we even what? Pray them. Listen, be honest with God. He already knows what's on your heart. If you're frustrated, tell him. You can't hide it from him. He knows your thoughts. That, that's, a, that's a scary thought if you think about it. He knows your thoughts. He knows your thoughts before you even speak. I don't get it, but it does. He's God. God has no time. He created time for you and I. So before they call, I will answer. While they are still speaking, I will what? Hear. Let's go to Matthew chapter 7 real quick. Hold your spot here. Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. Look at verse 7. This is a... This, part of the Sermon on the Mountain. Again, greatest sermon of all. One, Jesus preached it. But two, we're still trying to figure a lot of it out. And you say it's pretty simple. No, that when they start digging into this, they're, they're, anyways, that's a whole other sermon. But anyways, Matthew chapter 7, look what it says in verse 7. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks, the door will be opened. Which one of you, if a son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you, then though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you, for this sums up the law and the prophets. He adds that in because... Sometimes our prayer is connected to how we treat other people. One of the scriptures says if you have anything against your brother or sister, lay it at the altar and go, go make it right and then come back to the altar and pray. That's why he mentions that in verse 12. But think about this. When you were a kid and you were hungry, did your mom hand you a snake? Okay, you're hungry. Here you go. <laughs> I can tell you this. My wife would have been out the door that quick. 
I mean, think about that. Would you do that to your own kids? Would you offer them something like a snake or a stone? Oh, you're hungry? Chew on this for a while. No, nah, give them a bone, you know, from your dog. Here, have this. No. So if he says that we who were born into sin, right? We're evil from the time that we were born until we give Jesus our hearts, right? And then he imputes his righteousness to us. If we are that way, how much more will God answer our prayers? Some of you guys are still waiting on an answer to prayer. Sometimes it takes years. The main thing is hold on. Keep asking, keep knocking, and keep seeking. The idea there is don't stop. Be persistent. Keep asking God. So what did Gabriel come to give Daniel? Let's go back to Daniel chapter Daniel chapter 9 here. So again, he prays and the answer is sent. Look at verse 23. Actually, let's start in verse 22. I'm sorry, verse 22. He instructed, in, instructed me and said to me, Daniel, I have now come to give you insight and what? Understanding. Daniel's struggling. God, why is this all happening to our country? Why are we still in captivity? Is there an answer for all this? And I love the way God works sometimes. He gives an answer for the immediate future, and then he gives an answer for the future future. I guess that's the best way I can describe it. To the end times. Sometimes God will give us something for that moment and something for later on. I don't understand it, but that's just the way he does it. And you can see it all the way through the Old Testament. So God gives him a, a insight and understanding. In fact, this is not in my notes. Would you hold your spot here and go with me to Ephesians chapter 1? This is not in my notes. Ephesians chapter 1 in your Bibles. We're going to start in verse 3. The Apostle Paul writes this to the church in Ephesus. So if you have your notes, because it's not up on, up, up on the screen, just write it in your notes. Paul says this to the, to the Ephesian believers, to each of them. And he says it to you and I. Same thing. Look what he says here. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. <clears throat> in love he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. To the praise of his glorious grace which he freely gives, has given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of the sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and what? Understanding. And he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure which he purposed in Christ to be in effect, to be put into effect when times will have reached their fulfillment, to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ. Now jump over with me real quick to verse 15. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. That's exactly what Daniel was praying and that's what God gave him. More understanding and insight. And Paul prays the same thing for them. And that's what you and I should be praying. God, give us more understanding and revelation of your word. 
Help me to figure it out. Help me to get it. Have you ever read the Bible and went, man, I don't get that. And you'll read a commentary and go, I still don't get it. That's when you say, God, reveal it to me. There have been times in my life when I thought I knew certain scriptures and then boom, one day something pops out of it I never saw before or somebody preaches on a way that I never heard before. So you and I are the same. God wants us to give us understanding. Again, look at verse 8. This is in Christ. When you accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, it says that he lavished on us with all wisdom and what? Understanding. And in James chapter 1, it says, if you ask for wisdom, believe that you have what? Received it. So you need wisdom for a, a decision? God will give it to you. you. You need wisdom on how to deal with a relationship? God will give it to you. I mean, think about that for a minute. How about spouses? Come on, spouses, you ever fight sometimes and try to figure things out with your spouse? I had one time, I had a couple that said, we never fight. And my first thing is I laughed. What are you laughing about? I said, no, you guys fight, right? And, and, and so what do you do? You pray for wisdom to figure out how to figure out that problem, right? To come to an agreement, right? God will give you the wisdom. How about when you need to make a financial decision? God, I don't know what to do about this. God, I need wisdom. Give me wisdom. Or your kids, or family, or your business. What does this have to do with Daniel? Because that's what Daniel prayed. He wanted understanding of what was going on with his nation. And when you and I do the same thing, God will answer us. All right, let's go back to Daniel. Now let's look at the 77. So now he asked for uh, insight and understanding. God came to give it to him. I want to read something real quick in verse 23, though, real quick, before we move on to the 77s. Look what it says. As soon as you begin to pray, an answer was given, which I have come to tell you, for you are highly esteemed. Now, this is the Old Testament. But if you're a born-again believer tonight, you're highly esteemed. Do you get that? You're highly esteemed. Stop believing the enemy's lies about yourself. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. You may not feel like it tonight. You may not think you look like it tonight. But it doesn't matter. It's not based on how we feel or look or what other people think. It's based on the Word of God. Because we are highly favored. Why are we highly favored? Not because of our goodness. Not because of anything we did. But all because of what He did. And the minute you said yes to Jesus, He said, I'm going to pour out my grace grace means unmerited favor you're highly esteemed I'm highly esteemed and there's times I think man I don't deserve to be highly esteemed am I the only one I mean there are times I'm like my attitude stinks I'm the only one right whose attitude stinks sometimes <laughs> sometimes, sometimes I don't treat people the way I should or sometimes I react to something or even to my kids or something at the store or something on TV, whatever it is, right? Now, some things I do want to react to things on TV because there's things that shouldn't be on there. You know, the commercials, oh, I just, no, don't get me started on that. But 
we need to realize who we are in Christ. I think sometimes we have an identity crisis. We forget who we are in Jesus Christ. That we're under the blood. We're bought and paid for. We're his children. Washed in the blood. Cleansed. Made holy through Christ. Imputed righteousness. And if you're not saved tonight, you can be. You can have all those things, but it's not based on being good. The Bible says that faith comes by, or salvation is by grace through faith, not by works, lest anyone should boast. If it's based on our works, then we have a right to boast. But since it's not based on what we did, it was based on what Jesus did, we don't have to do nothing. All we have to do is put our faith in what he already did on the cross. Boy, that's the best gift I've ever had in my life. That is the best transaction. That's like getting, a, that's more than a million dollars. A million dollars really doesn't go a lot of ways nowadays. You know, in the, in the tribulation period, it's, it's going to take a day's wages to buy a loaf of bread. Man, you don't want to be left behind. All right, going on. 77s. What does he mean by 70s? Look at verse 24. He says, 77s are decreed for your people and your holy city to finish transgression, to put an end to sin, to atone for wickedness, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. So 77s. Now, how many of you guys have your little sheet here? Everybody got their sheet? All right. Can, let me explain this a little bit. I got a little pointer here. Okay. There's, when he gets into the 77s, okay, and he talks about... Um, we have 69 sevens, which is, the, when it says weeks, it means years. Do you understand that? So when you see weeks in here, look what he says here when he says weeks or 70 sevens. In, in, and later on, he talks about that being the weeks. It literally means years. So the first seven, and we're going to read this here in a second. What's seven times seven? 49. Well, let's read that for a second so we can go through this. So he talks about 77, then look at verse 25. No one understand this from the issuing of the decree to the restore and rebuild of Jerusalem until the anointed one, the ruler, comes. There will be seven sevens and 62 sevens. So seven sevens is 49 years, okay? So that was probably from the time the decree to rebuild the Jerusalem. Remember, the Israelites were in Babylonian captivity for 70 years. At the end of those 70 years, God began to send the Israelites back to Jerusalem to rebuild the city. So from the time, and I'm gonna, we're going to look at a couple options here. I think it was from the time of King Cyrus uh, issued a decree. There was uh, 49 years to rebuild the temple, and then you take another 62 sevens, right? You add those together, that's 434 years. You add those together, so from 483 years until Jesus came on the scene. And there's a scholar that did the math, and it's to the exact day. God is precise in everything he does. So Daniel writes this, like almost like 800 years before Jesus was born, and he talks about what's going to happen. Look what he says here. From the issuing of the decree in verse 25, to the restore and rebuild of Jerusalem until the anointed one. Notice it says anointed one. It's referring to Christ the ruler comes, there will be seven sevens and 62 sevens. It will be rebuilt with streets and a trench, but in times of trouble. What do they mean by times of trouble? Well, that's when the Romans were there. 
The Romans were ruling Israel. Don't worry, it's just one of our lights having a problem. So here it is. You do the math, 483 years from the time of the decree happened to the time that Jesus showed up. Now look at this. Look at verse 26. After the 62 sevens, the anointed one will be cut off and will have nothing. Now there's some debate on that. Most believe that that's when he walked in, when he came in on a donkey on Palm Sunday, and they rejected him. They missed it. They missed it. They were looking for an earthly king. Yes, he will be an earthly king. He's going to come back, but not for their time. They were hoping somebody was going to overthrow the Romans. So the minute they reached out, remember Jesus weeping. He's crying. Because if you'd only known who was here. I'm going to do a, a couple things here. The focus of the tribulation, again, I want to talk about this, is on the Jewish people. And we're going to look at that in a minute. And the tribulation is focused on redeeming the Jews. That is why it's called Jacob's trouble. I don't know why that's in there, but we'll look at it here in a few minutes. I think that has for my next slide. But I wanted to look at the 62 sevens. Something else, I'm going to go back here real quick, okay? So here is what we call the 62 sevens. It actually equals from the time that Jesus, here's the cross, and then we come to what we call the seven-year tribulation. But we're, you and I are right here in the church age. There's still one week that's missing. Remember, the week means years. So there's still a seven-year period that's missing. Remember when we watched the movie Before the Wrath? Do you guys remember that movie before the wrath? It was about the tribulation or about the rapture of the church and how they have found archaeological evidence in Galilee. Well, I, I'm going to explain this. I hope I'm not going too deep for you. Everybody understanding this a little bit? So Jesus is cut off, right? And then he dies on the cross. The last day started the day that Jesus ascended to heaven. We've been living in the last days. And then the, what we call the end of the age is right here. And honestly, I think with all the signs that are converging right now, that we're right here just before the rapture takes place. And people say, well, they've been talking about that for years. Listen, back when Hitler came, they thought he was the Antichrist. The problem with that was they didn't have the technology then. We do. Go look up wholesale foods. How do you get into the store? They started this. Remember I shared this with you? Before we moved in Washington State, they have nobody working there. They have food up on shelves. They have stuff in there. Nobody works there. There's nobody to stop you. You go in, you scan the palm of your hand. You don't have a credit card. You don't have nothing. They scan your palm. You walk in, you grab your stuff and walk out, and you get charged. They're doing this now in all their stores. China's doing it already. They, how many of you guys heard of the, 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 the chip that Elon Musk put in somebody's head? Do you know they can turn their computer on without doing anything? They just think it. This was just last week. And they said, oh, he's, this individual's doing well. They have the ability with the technology now to do telepathy. I've mentioned that on Sunday morning. Again, I don't want telepathy because I don't know, one, know what you guys are thinking. Pastor, would you hurry up? <laughs> right? I'm just teasing you. But, but here's the deal about that. We are living, if you look at all the things that are going on, 
wars and rumors of wars and ethnic groups. Remember I preached on, on Matthew 24. We are here, guys. The apostasy within the church is happening like crazy. Apostasy means defection from the faith. And it's happening. Denominations, whole denominations are defecting from the truth of God's word. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, there must have to be a falling away first, then the man of lawlessness will be revealed. And we're going to look at that scripture tonight. So again, this is all speaking. Daniel sees this prophetic word. And then there's a church age that's not mentioned there. And we're going to look at this part right here tonight. That's that last seven weeks or seven years. So let's go on here. Verse 26, after the 62 sevens, the anointed one will be cut off and will have nothing. The people of the ruler who will come will destroy the city and the sanctuary. The end will come like a flood. War will continue until the end and desolations have been decreed. He will confirm a covenant with many for how many? One seven. So the Antichrist, after the rapture of the church, the Antichrist is going to come on the scene. He's going to come on the scene. Again, I want to focus something. We often think, let me go back to that uh, clip here. Oh, quit. So we often think this is a Gentile thing. It's not. It's Jewish. God's focus shifts from us, the Gentiles, onto the Jews. It's about focusing on the Jews. So now let's go on to the next slide here. So again, the focus on the tribulation is on Jewish people. We're going into the tribulation now. This is what he's talking about. The seven, the covenant with many for one seven is the tribulation period. Notice Daniel doesn't talk about the he doesn't talk about the church age. Jesus does. So the tribulation again is focused on redeeming the Jews. And they call this in Jeremiah 30 Jacob's trouble. Who was Jacob? Another name for Jacob was Israel. Look at Jeremiah 37. How awful that day will be. No other will be like it. It will be a time of trouble for Jacob. But he will be saved out of it. Am I losing anybody today? Or this evening? Go with me real quick to Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 30. Do you guys understand the math part? Because, hey, this is Wednesday night. You can speak up. Are you all understanding the math part of it? Okay. Let's read verses 1 through 10 real quick. I rebuke that light in Jesus' name. <laughs> All right, Jeremiah chapter 30, look at verse 1. This is the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Write in a book all the words I have spoken to you. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will bring my people Israel and Judah back from captivity and restore them to the land I gave their forefathers to possess says the Lord. Remember, God said he would distribute them throughout the whole world. I preached on it on a Sunday morning, and God brought them back in 1948. They started coming back in 1867, and then uh, later on, it came back in 1917, the Balfour Declaration. And if you know the, the, the miracle that happened in that, that is a God thing. And, and so God started bringing it, the Israelites back into Jerusalem. And in 1948, after 2,000 years, God reestablished Israel. And that's God's time clock. So the minute that happened in 1948, that was the mark of the end times. And Jesus said, that generation will not pass away the coming of the Lord. Does that give you goosebumps? 
So then you see in 1948, they're reestablished. Jerusalem is the second hand, right? Let's go on here, verse 4. These are the words of the Lord spoke concerning Israel and Judah. This is what the Lord says. Cries of fear are heard, terror and not peace. Ask and see, can a man bear children? Then why do I see every strong man with his hands on his stomach like a woman in labor? Every face turned deathly pale. How awful that day will be. None will be like it. It will be a time of trouble for Jacob, but he will be saved. He's speaking of the tribulation period. In fact, in, in, Luke, in Luke or Matthew, it says that it'll be such a bad time on earth, men will faint from fear that comes on them. We're in the birth pains right now. I couldn't imagine what it's going to be like in the tribulation period. It talks about the sun scorching you and burning you and having to hide from it. Mountains being cast into the sea. A third of the fish being killed. And a third of the earth being burnt. I mean, man, that's a lot of stuff. Verse 8, In that day, declares the Lord Almighty, I will break the yoke off their necks and will tear off their bonds. No longer will foreigners enslave them. Instead, they will serve the Lord their God and David their king, whom I will raise up for them. They're speaking of Jesus there. David their king to raise up. Remember, he's going to sit on the throne of David. Verse 10, so do not fear, O Jacob, my servant. Do not be dismayed, O Israel, declares the Lord. I will surely save you out of a distant place, your descendants from the land of their exile. Jacob will again have peace and security, and no one will make him afraid. Again, what are they saying in the last days? Peace and security. That's mentioned in Thessalonians. To finish transgression, sin, and atone for wickedness and bring in everlasting righteousness is what Jesus did for us. And that's going to be finished at the end of the tribulation period. He did it on the cross, but for the Israelites, it's going to be finished at the end of the tribulation period. It happens for us who are born again and saved, but for the Israelites, they still haven't come in to salvation. I just read a report from the Pew Research, and I'm going to share that this Sunday. Only four, uh, or... 40% of, of Jews today in Israel are not believers. They don't believe in anything. 8% are traditional Orthodox Jews. A small percentage, like I think it's 12%, I'll have to look at it, but I can't remember what the percentage is, but it's so small. Most of Israel today is atheistic. So you look at a country that's been, God's brought them back, but they haven't come spiritually alive yet. And that's going to happen at the end of the tribulation period. Look at this. The culmination of appointed years will witness the conclusion of man's transgression or rebellion against God. A development most naturally entered into the establishment of the entirely new order on earth. This seems to require nothing less than the inauguration of a kingdom of God on earth. Again, Daniel is speaking about the tribulation period. Again, understanding the 77s, we went through that. The rebuilding of Jerusalem and the arrival of the Messiah, we, we went through that already. The decree was issued to restore and rebuild the temple until the arrival of the Messiah. We talked about that already. Again, when was this issued decree? There is a lot of debate on the timing. Now, I'm going to go through a little bit of that. Here's one idea. The Bible presents four possible decrees that might fulfill this description. One, Cyrus made a decree giving Ezra and the Babylonian captivities the right to return to Jerusalem and rebuild the temple in 538 B.C. How many of you guys like facts? Okay. 
Here's the next one. Darius made a decree giving Ezra the right to rebuild the temple in 517 B.C. Artaxerxes made a decree giving Ezra permission, safe passage, and supplies to, re to return to Jerusalem and to rebuild the temple in 458 B.C. And Artaxerxes made a decree giving Nehemiah permission, safe passage, and supplies to return to Jerusalem to rebuild the city and the walls in 445 B.C. So again, we, we're not quite sure... Only the last of these, and this is from David Gusick, these four decrees was command to restore and rebuild Jerusalem. The first three each focused on the temple, not on the street or on the wall. So most likely, again, this is from uh, David Gusick. It was the decree that Artaxerxes issued giving Nehemiah permission to return and rebuild Jerusalem and the temple in 445 B.C. Why is that important? Because God is precise. And I, I, we're not going to go to Nehemiah chapter 2. But I want, if you get a chance, go to Nehemiah chapter 2 and read that. So, again, there's the 70 weeks. I don't know why I had that back on there. When it says, until the anointed one, the ruler comes, refers to, again, what I mentioned earlier, Palm Sunday. This is called the triumphal what? Entry. Listen to Zechariah 9.9. Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Hey, did you guys know that donkeys all have a cross on their back? They do. Every donkey I've seen has a cross on their back. Hmm, I wonder who had that in mind. Uh, God doesn't make mistakes. I think that's interesting. Here, here's another interesting thing about donkeys. When a king came in as victorious as to fight, he would ride a horse. But when he came in as victorious as I've already won the battle... He was on a donkey. He came in humility. So let's go to Matthew chapter 21 real quick. Look at me in verses 1 through 11. We're going to look at the triumphal entry real quick for a minute. And here's why I wanted to read it. I, I kind of skipped ahead of some of my notes, and then we're going back and kind of recapping a little bit. But here's the reason why. I want us to see how they missed it. Matthew 21, verse 1, says this. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, tell him that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to the daughter of Zion, see your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Verse 6, the disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them, and Jesus sat on them. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, Hosanna in the highest. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Now, it's interesting because in one of the other, uh, one, uh, in one of the other uh, 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 Gospels, it talks about how Jesus wept over the, over the city because they had missed it. We don't want to miss what Jesus is doing today. They saw the signs, but they missed his coming. And they had the scriptures. They knew that the Messiah would come. And they had it, and it, that he would be born in uh, Bethlehem. 
of Ephrathah, which is the house of bread. They had all these things about Jesus, and yet because of their pride, they missed it. And we could do the same thing with the return of the Lord. We can miss it. Again, the anointed one cut off. The cutting off refers not only to him being cut off at Palm Sunday, but also to being what? Crucified, rejected. Abel chronologists have shown that the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus Christ occurred immediately after the expiration of the 483 prophetic years of 360 days each from the time of Artaxerxes' order. Ironside wrote that. In fact, it's interesting because the, the Jews don't use our calendar. We use a Gregorian calendar, which is a Gentile calendar. They use a Jewish calendar, which is 360 days. So according to their calendar, it was exactly 483 years from the time that the decree was mentioned to the time that Jesus died on the cross. Now, I'm not showing a contradiction here. I've talked about Palm Sunday. Remember when they cut him off in a sense? That was the rejection of him. The cutoff part was the time that he died. Does that make sense now? Because I don't want to miss you guys. All right, let's go on. The destruction of the sanctuary. Let's go on. Let's go back to Daniel. Am I putting anybody to sleep tonight? All right, let's look real quick. Verse 27. It says, he will confirm a covenant with many for seven. The word confirm there means to strengthen. To strengthen something that's already been put in place. So somehow there's going to be some covenant with many that's going to be in place. And the Antichrist is going to come along and he's going to strengthen it. That's what that word means. He will strengthen a covenant with many for seven years. In the middle of the seven, he will put an end to sacrifice and offering. First of all, the destruction of the temple occurred in AD 70. There's not a temple there right now, right? Has anybody ever looked at the Temple Mount? What's up there? The Dome of the Rock, the Golden Dome. And I just watched an archaeologist. They know that they know that they know that that's where Solomon's Temple was. In fact, if you look at the rock that's underneath the Golden Dome of the Rock up there, you will see the cutout in the stone where the Ark of the Covenant sat. And if you ever look at the Dome of the Rock, I wish I would have got a picture. I'm going to get a picture one of these days for you. On the marble is the picture of Satan. Because he was a seraphim. He was a, he was a cherubim. It, there, there's a picture of this teeth-like bug-looking thing, and it's facing each other. And you can't just put that in marble. Marble doesn't come that way. And when they put that on the dome, the golden dome of the rock, it's right there. Go, go Google it. It's Satan's face on the golden dome of the rock. And it'll pop up and you'll go, wow. It's there. Because Satan's always trying to take the spot of who? God. And so that's where the temples are. So right now there's not a temple. But one of these days there's going to be a temple that's going to be put there. Maybe there'll be some kind of missile that comes in. You know, all those rockets from Hezbollah. And they'll bomb their own. Oh, that would be hilarious. I can say that. Come on, I'm not politically correct. I think that would be cool. Oh, we missed it, but we hit the Dome of the Rock. And then the Jews will go, yay, we can build our temple. Here's the sad part about it. We shouldn't be excited about them having the temple. Do you know why? Because Jesus already did it on the cross. They're missing it. How many of you guys know that there's five red heifers that they got? One of them has not 
over in Israel right now. There's five red heifers. And you know where those heifers came from? Texas. They haven't had a perfect red heifer. Now, of those five, one of them came back. Uh, yeah, they found a hair. They have to have be like two hairs. If they find two hairs that are off, then it's, then it's not good. It's unclean. It's not fit to be sacrificed. But four of them are still good, and they're going to be sacrificing them in May. Do you know how big of a deal that is? It has not been down in over 2,000 years. That's right. You can't have temple worship without it. And, and did you know this? The Sanhedrin was formed back in like 2004, 2003. They haven't had the Sanhedrin in over 2,000 years. And you know how they were able to do it? Because we have genealogy tests today. And they were able to find the, the original descendants of Aaron the priest. Did you know they've been sacrificing animals since then? And this year they're going to sacrifice one on the Mount of Olives, a red heifer. And if they sprinkle that ashes, then how close are we to Jesus coming back? The only thing that they're waiting on is to build the temple. They think they know where the Ark of the Covenant is. The Jews believe they know where it's at. See, Solomon built these hidden rooms underneath the Temple Mount years ago. And the Jews are pretty certain they know where the, the Ark of the Covenant is. They, they have a thing called the Temple Institute. And they have all the artifacts for, doing, for creating a temple. They have a menorah. In fact, they're still trying to fight the Vatican to get the menorah back that they have. They have all the utensils. They got the, the, the table for the showbread. They have all that stuff. All they're waiting on. Do you know they have all the parts for the temple already? They have everything ready. They could, I think they said they could build it in 90 days. They're just waiting for that green light. See, the original temple was destroyed in 87. Jesus prophesied that. He said, not one stone would be left on another. And you can go to Israel today, and you'll see all these giant stones that the, that the Roman soldiers had pushed off the Temple Mount, and they created these big, huge caves in the ground. And they're still there to this day. And the reason why they did that is because Herod had a bunch of gold in there. And when they start, lit the fire in there, it started melting the gold, and Roman soldiers were going, hey, that's money. Boom, started pushing the things to get to the gold. People are still after money. So there's got to be one. Look at this. The siege of Jerusalem in 70, I don't like CE because that's common error. I, I think it's 80 after the death of Christ. Roman military blockade of Jerusalem during the first Jewish revolt. The fall of the city marked the effective conclusion of a four-year campaign against the Jewish insurgency in Judea. The Romans destroyed much of the city, including the second temple. The majority of the information on the siege comes from the copious notes of Jewish historian uh, Flavius Josephus, and I have his book, and that's from the uh, uh, Britannica. Remember Britannica, Encyclopedia Britannica? No, I know. Hey, man, I wish I could get some. However, this destruction not only referred to the 70 AD, but it also refers to the coming of the Antichrist, which means there's going to be a rebuilt temple. In order for him to do sacrifices, look at it here real quick, verse 27. He will confirm a covenant with many for one seven. In the middle of the sevens, he will put an end to sacrifice and offering. So they're already doing the sacrifice. Guys, if you're not right with Jesus, you had better get right because that trumpet's going to sound. Because they're already doing the sacrifices. And all they have to do is build that temple. The Antichrist comes on. Oh, yeah, yeah, we'll make a covenant. How about we give you a temple up there? And the Bible says the outer court's going to belong to the Gentiles. We'll give the outer court out here up on the Temple Mount to the Gentiles, but you can have your temple up there. 
And all it's going to take is one little missile. Or, or they decide that, hey, we're done with this war. We're going to destroy that golden dome of the rock. And then look what the, the Antichrist will not only confirm a covenant with many for seven. The word, again, confirm comes from the Hebrew word gabar. It means to make strong, to strengthen, confirm, give strength to, or confirm a covenant. It means to, to strengthen something that's already there. It could very well be the Abrahamic Accords. Don't know, but it could be. Again, that's just me making a theory, right? How many of you guys have those theories? Can I tell you something? Don't have a theory about who the Antichrist is. Look for Jesus Christ. Have you ever thought that? Man, that guy could fit, that guy could fit, that guy could. And then we get so focused on who the Antichrist is, we miss who it's really important about, and that's Jesus. So the covenant, again, is seven years. In the middle of the seven years, how, how, what's in the middle of seven? Three and a half. He will put an end to sacrifices. In order to put an end to sacrifice, again, there has to be a temple. Revelation tells us there will be one. There's going to be a temple. Look at Revelation 11, verses 1 through 2. I was given a reed like a measuring rod and was told, Go and measure the temple of God and the altar with its worshipers. But exclude the outer court. Do not measure it because it has been given to who? The Gentiles. They will trample on the holy city for 42 months. So there's going to be a temple. And then one of the scriptures talks about the wing. So let's go on here. Look what he says. In the middle of the seven, he will put an end to sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of the temple, he will set up an abomination that causes desolation until the end that is decreed is poured out on him. What's he going to do? He's going to step in there. He's going to sacrifice something in there. And then he's going to sit up and say, I'm God. He's going to say, I'm the Lord. I'm God. An abomination that causes desolation. We don't know who that's going to be. Again, I don't care because we won't be here. We'll be raptured out of here. I really honestly believe that. You go through the Old Testament. When Lot, when God was getting ready to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, and they have found the cities, by the way, over there, and they're burnt to a crisp. They said the, it was so hot that the bones of the people who had died before and were buried there had, had, are bent from the heat. You can still find the, the brimstone that you can burn and melt metal. It's still there. Sodom and Gomorrah, God destroyed it. It's still, it, they found it. They found where it's at. And so if, if he's going to set this abomination that causes de desolation right up in the middle of the, of, of the, uh, the seven-year uh, tribulation, in the middle of it, and he's going to say, I'm God, and God's going to be like, ah, oh, you're not God, right? But again, you and I won't be here for that. The Antichrist again is going to do this look at 2nd Thessalonians chapter 2 verses 2 through 4 Paul is writing to this Thessalonians you've heard me read the scripture over and over again they thought the rapture had already happened and they were left behind and they were left in the tribulation period and Paul's like no 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 this can't happen yet and there's a reason why it can't happen yet so he says don't become easily unsettled or alarmed by the teaching allegedly coming from us so somebody had sent a letter saying oh this was from Paul you were left behind. How many of you guys ever got scared when you were a kid if you were left behind? Yeah, there's a healthy fear, but sometimes it, the enemy will use it. I remember one time my mom was gone. My sister was gone. My dad, and my dad, you know, he, he wasn't saved then. So I, I figured he was out in the garage or somewhere. And I went in there and I was like, oh, no, I got left behind. Listen, that's a good healthy fear. You want to be that way in some ways, right? 
So he says, don't be unsettled by this letter bias, whether by prophecy or by word of mouth or letter, asserting that the day of the Lord had already come. Don't let anyone deceive you in any way. For that day will not come until the rebellion. Let me stop there. That word rebellion is the word falling away or the word where we get apostasy, which means to defect from the faith. It's to say, well, I used to believe, but now I've rejected Christ. I'm walking away from Christ. I don't want to have anything to do with Christ. And that's happening. I just read a report last week. Another well-known believer has come out and rejected the faith. Last year, a professor who teaches theology at Moody Bible Institute. Anybody know what Moody Bible Institute is? He came out publicly and says, I've renounced the faith. I don't believe it anymore. You're seeing denominations that used to hold the biblical truth that are now allowing all kinds of stuff. I mean, think about, just I think this was about three months ago. There was a transvestite pastor that got up. He was a pastor. He gets up in the church, dresses up like a woman. The Bible calls that effeminate. You're not supposed to do that. And he begins to teach his people, and they were like cheering him. That's scary. That's apostasy. It's, it's going away from biblical truth. So one of the th signs that you need to look for, not only do you have to look for ethnic group, right? Nation rising against nation, ethnos, ethnic groups coming against each other, uh, kingdom against kingdom, rumors of wars, right? Pestilence, natural disaster. It's not global warming, it's the end times. It says that the, the waves will toss back and forth and men will be of fear of what's coming on the earth. I have talked to people that don't know nothing about the Bible and they're scared and they're going, something's going on. I, we don't know what it is. And then I'm going, yay, I get to tell you about the Bible. And then when I start to tell them, they're like, I don't want to hear that. And you're going, wow, I don't get it. You recognize something's going on, but you don't want to hear the scripture. It's because it's called pride. And so you're seeing all this stuff, and one of the signs is apostasy within the church. People that are born-again believers that, that once loved Jesus are completely walking away from him. I think of Amy Grant. How many of you guys know who Amy Grant is? She is, she, her niece is an is a open lesbian. And she is, she is promoting her niece's wedding to another woman on her property. I can't listen to Amy Grant music anymore because of it. I'm not here to pick on these individuals, but I'm just telling you, these are, this is what's happening. And we're seeing it with our eyes. So he says, for that day will not come. What day? The tribulation period won't come until apostasy happens within the church occurs then the man of lawlessness he's talking about the antichrist there is revealed the man doomed to destruction but listen to this he will pose and will exalt himself over everything that is called god or his worship so that he sets himself up in the god's temple proclaiming himself to be god now let's finish with this last scripture i know we're a little over but go with me to second thessalonians because i want to end with a good note how many of you guys like a good note at the end Go with me to 2 Thessalonians real quick. Chapter 2. We just read that. But I want to finish with this part. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 in your Bibles. Look at me in verse 5 though. And then we're going to jump over to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Is that okay? You guys alright with that? 
You, you guys need to leave out. When you hear all this, you're like, oh my goodness, this, this is horrible. Listen, you should not be afraid of the times we're in. That should excite you. I had one person one time say, oh, why are you preaching on this doom and gloom? What? It's doom and gloom if you don't know Jesus. Look at verse 5. He says, don't you remember that when I was with you, I used to tell you these things. And now you know what is holding him back so that he may be revealed at the proper time. For the secret power of lawlessness, we call that the Antichrist or the spirit of the Antichrist, is already at work. But the one who now holds it back will continue to do so till he is taken out of the way. Okay, first of all, that is referring to us as the church. You and I, when we start seeing the stuff, come on, if you see stuff and you're going like, oh, they're scanning your hands, uh-uh, not me, right? You better be that way, right? We got to resist for a little bit. We're the ones holding it back. We're going, oh, no, this looks too much like the end times. I'm not getting that, right? Do you know who the most hated people are right now? The, the Jews and the Christians. Anti-Semitism is on the rise. Anti-Christian is on the rise. Even here in the United States. Yes. That's right. In the, well, in, in the 20th century and the 21st century, there have been more martyrs for Christ than all the centuries put together. And, and, and it's true. And there's been more actually in the 21st century. So he says this. Look at this. Look what he says. Tell he who holds back is taken out of the way. That's you and I in the rapture of the church. Now let's go over to 1 Thessalonians real quick. 1 Thessalonians. I'm going to read it. We'll just go. Let, let's start in chapter 4 real quick. And then, and then we'll close. Is that okay? I, I've got to end with this because this gives us hope. 1 Thessalonians chapter, 13, or chapter 4 verse 13. If you have a chapter 13, it's not in your Bible. I get excited. Somebody told me, my wife says, you need to slow down. When I start getting excited, I start talking faster. And it's not coffee, I promise you. First, First Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13. Brothers, we do not want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep. That means people have died. Okay? When he says asleep, he means dead. Or to grieve like the rest of the men who have no hope. We believe that Jesus died and rose again. How many of you believe that tonight? He died and rose again. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep with him. Hallelujah, my little girl that's, that, that was a stillborn baby in 2011, full-term baby, she's with Jesus right now. She's going to come, oh, what a reunion that's going to be. And we had a miscarriage too. I don't know if it's a boy or a girl. It, I, you know, who knows? We went ahead and named them anyways. Verse 15, according to the Lord's own word. Whose words? The Lord's. Does, does God lie? No. We tell you that we who are still alive, who are left till the coming of the Lord, the coming of the Lord he's referring to is the rapture of the church. We'll certainly not perceive those who have fallen asleep, for the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command. Hallelujah, that's awesome. Right? I hope we hear that. I wonder if it's going to be in Hebrew. Hi, whatever that is. I don't have no idea what it is. With the voice of the archangel. And with the trumpet call of God, remember 1 Corinthians chapter 15? The trumpet call of God? Look at this. And then he says, and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive are, and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage each other with these words. 
The word caught up there, if you want to put it in your Bible, is the Greek word harpazo. But in the Latin Bible, where our Greek Bible was translated from, it's raptuo or raptui, where we get the word rapture. People say, well, the word rapture is not in the Bible. Yes, it is. It's in the Latin Bible. And the Greek Bible was translated from the Latin Bible. And the Greek is translated in our language. So and the word harpazo means to be seized or caught up or taken up. So the word rapture is in the Bible. It's in the Latin Bible. I've actually read it. I didn't know all the other verses. I had to take it and set it next to my Bible. Okay, I get what that says. I get what that says. And then you go down and it says, Raptui. Oh, I know that word. Rapture. Look at verse 1 of chapter 5. Now, brothers, about the times and dates, we do not want you to write, to write to you, for you know very well that that day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. It's going to happen suddenly. It's going to happen quick. Might be in my car. Might be riding my bicycle. Wouldn't that be cool? The three of us riding bike, and somebody drives by, and all of a sudden our bikes are down, and there's clothes, and they're like, Where, where'd they go? We did not start a colony. I promise you that. Sorry, I had to be all facetious on that. Look at verse 3. While people are saying what? Peace and security or peace and safety. That is happening today more than ever before. They want peace and security where? In Jerusalem. Sudden destruction will come on them. Or destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains as a pregnant woman. And they will not escape. I believe we're in the birth pains right now. But you, brothers, are not in darkness, so that this day should surprise you like a thief. You are all sons of the light and sons of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. So then let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be alert and self-controlled. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be self-controlled, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a, as a helmet, Look at verse 9. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Therefore, encourage with each other, or encourage one another and build each other up just in fact as you are doing. So both places he talks about doing what? Encouraging each other with these words. So if we see all these signs, like I mentioned on Matthew, on Matthew 24 that one Sunday morning, and we're seeing the signs that he talks about, then we need to say, okay, how close is Jesus? I think Jesus is right at the door. I think he's waiting for the Father to say, go get your bride. And it could happen in any moment. Any moment. And we're living in those days. We are living in those days. Exciting times. I can't wait. So you want to leave on a good note? If you're born again tonight, you're going to go. Trumpet call, come. I, there are times I sit there and I wait. You know, I told you this. When we lived in Washington, we lived right by the river. And when it get foggy in the, in, the, in the wintertime, you'd hear the boat horns. But I've told you that one day, my, my wife and I, we'd go for walks. I'd come eat lunch with her and we'd go for a walk. And One day it was a bright, sunny day. And all of a sudden we were, you know, but it didn't sound that. It sounded more like a truck. We looked at each other. And then we started to laugh and goes, oh, that's just a boat. But that's how prepared we need to be. So we are living the last days. Every head bowed, every eye closed here. Are you born again? Are you saved? The Bible says we can be sure of our salvation. We can know where we're going to spend eternity. If we don't submit, if we don't surrender to God now, we will one day. 
You will bow the knee. The Bible says every tongue will confess and every knee shall bow that Jesus is, every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. But God doesn't want you to wait till then. You just got to get to a point where you admit, I am a sinner. And here's the wonderful thing. When you admit that to God and you say, Jesus, forgive me, come into my life, guess what he does? He forgives you. And that's for those that are listening online as well. If, if, if you're not saved tonight, God wants you to be saved, but you have to make the decision. He loves you. He's not going to force you into a decision. You have to make that on your own. And when you do that, it's the greatest thing you'll ever happen. You'll, you'll, you'll know it. He'll come in. He'll take that burden of sin off you. He'll give you new life. Are you here tonight and you say, Pastor, that's me. I'm not saved, but I want to get saved. I want, I want to know I'm going to heaven when I die. Because you don't know if you'll die tonight or tomorrow. I had a good friend that died that quick from pneumonia. So is everybody saved? If you're saved and you know it, raise your hand. If you're not, everybody's saved. Good. How many of you are ready for Jesus to come back? Raise your hand. How many of you have loved ones that need to be saved and come in? Let's pray for them tonight before we close. Father, we pray for our family, our friends, our neighbors, those that we know that aren't ready for you. They're not ready for your return. And we know we're, we're seeing the signs that we're living in the last days. Again, we don't know the day or the hour, but we sure do know that we're in the season. Lord, would you give us divine appointments? Would you give us opportunities to share the gospel with them? Give us the words. You said even if we don't know it, that you would give us the words to speak to them. And I pray, Father, that as we leave this church tonight, and we go out, we're going out into our mission field. We're going out into the harvest field. I pray that you will give us divine appointments this week. You'll give us opportunities maybe to scatter some seed, maybe to water some seed, or maybe to harvest some seed. Give us the opportunities, Lord. Give us a heart for the lost. And I pray that you would begin to soften the hearts of our loved ones and friends and family, even our enemies, Lord. We don't want to see even our worst enemy go to hell. So I pray that right now in the name of Jesus and everybody said, amen. Thank you for letting me go a little bit longer tonight. I really appreciate it. Did you learn anything tonight? Do you understand? I want you to keep this though. If you're like wondering about the 62 sevens, it, it, this, and you can get a good commentary on it out of your Bible. Anyways, God bless you. Have a wonderful week. We'll see you on Sunday morning. We're going to be talking about Ezekiel 39, the second part of it. And uh, hallelujah. God bless you. Have a great night.